Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to What Do You Want to Watch, the Explosion Network's premium media podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV and online content and help you answer the question, why did the BAFTAs not nominate Kristen Stewart for best lead actress in a movie? It's because they're all team Elizabeth. Wow. I'm your host, Ashley Holy. Joining me today, Don Blight. When did you think that up? This morning? Oh, it's been in my mind for a while. I'm just trying to find the right wording. Okay. You know? <laughs> this is any... You know, I'm sure that they gave Helen Mirren the award, like, when she played Queen Elizabeth so many years ago, right? Kate Blanchett. When when Olivia Coleman played Queen Olivia in Coleman. The Favourite, she won. Mm. And then when she played her in The Crown, mm. she won against, and mm. then Princess Diana, the actress who played Princess Diana, went home with nothing. It's true. Foreshadowing. True. All right. On today's show, we'll be talking about what's in our watch history. We're going over some news. Giving some thumbs to some trailers and giving you this week's top three. Uh, Dylan, let's kick things off. Quickly touching on a film we've just done a spoiler cast for, Jackass Forever. Uh, do you want, we've obviously we've done a big road to the the movie. This this project's taken like seven months to complete. Uh, with uh, Ryan Betts from the Pop Culturist, you can check that over at explosionnetwork.com um, on the What Do You Want to Watch feed. Uh, but Dylan. Do you want to just quickly give your overall thoughts of Jackass Forever? Uh, I thought it was really good as a uh, fan, like a super fan. I feel like there's a few things that, like, uh, stuff that was a bit weak um, that didn't like, have major payoff. And I don't know if that's just because some of the cast just didn't want to do, like, not everyone's Knoxville and wants to just commit to being like, no, I'm still good sort of thing. Um, and like maybe some people didn't want to take as big a hits and obviously that's why they've got a so assortment of younger people in this as well to take some of the, the harder hitting stuff because the main jackass cast is a bit older. Um, but I feel like it's obviously, I wouldn't say it's like compared to movies I usually complain about for being like nostalgia driven. I feel like this because it's about real people and whatever is like a bit different than a character driven nostalgia thing. And, hmm. um, there was enough nostalgia and like throwbacks to older pranks and, um, big moments from other films or the TV show and so forth in this that are, I quite appreciated. And, um, yeah, I think ultimately it's just typical jackass humor. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, <laughs> this ain't going to change your mind because it's probably more focused on genital humor or gross out humor than some of the other ones, maybe just because they don't want to take the, the big hard hitting stuff as much. And they focused on that to, to make a lot of the movie. But yeah, I, I mean, I laughed a lot. My whole cinema laughed a lot. I had a really great time. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, not as much bodily fluids as the other ones. So that's a plus, because uh, that's the main <laughs> issue I've had with the previous ones. Uh, but yes, a lot of genitalia and, you know, I think there were some hard hits and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it definitely not as... There was a lot more almost dying, but that's because they're... <laughs> Much older and can't take as many hits as they could before. I mean, Knoxville literally takes his hardest fucking hit in this movie. So, I mean, that's something. I mean, he starts the movie with black hair and he ends the movie with grey hair. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, true. <laughs> Aged him up. Aged him up. Uh, yeah. So, check out Jackass Forever and then check out our spoiler cast of Jackass Forever. All right. Uh, Dylan, you've got a review for Gold, the latest movie uh, on stand starring Zach Efron up on Xbox.com. Go to six, but do you want to expand on that 
Why did you give it a six? Um, I feel like it's just a bit drawn out and doesn't really land. It's, uh, I feel like this would have been a little bit better tightened up. or what, And I mean, it's only like, what is it? It's, a, it's an hour 37. So it's not even that long or whatever, but also just feel like thematically it never really gets where it needs to be within that time. And it just spends a long time not really getting there. And I don't feel like the ending was super satisfying or, or whatever. Um, it's the story is it's sometime the setup's cool because it doesn't really give you all the, the answers, which I kind of like, but it's sometime in the future. The world sort of, you know, I think they in the, the prelude text, they say it's like because of a natural like, you know, our planet's dying sort of storyline thing and there's lots of sort of background storytelling so Zach Efron's character arrives at this town early in the movie uh there's lots of uh different sorts of languages written on signs and stuff like not just English there's other languages and stuff so it's like you don't really know where you are so although you can assume this movie set in Australia and it was filmed in Australia and everything there's no it could be who really knows it doesn't really matter ultimately but so he needs to, he's come here Zach Efron's character um has come here to get work at some mystical place that never really gets explained, but apparently they offer work and that's where he's going. And he hires this character played by Anthony Hayes, who's the writer and director as well to drive him there. And on the drive there, they stop at one point and they, Zach Efron's character discovers a massive like gold nugget in the ground. So then the other character has to head off to find a excavator to bring back, to get that out. And he says, it's going to take a few days. So Zach Efron has limited water and supplies to survive out there, and so it has to pace himself. And then the rest of the movie is more or less Zach Efron on a one man losing his mind, uh, starvation, you know, like that's sort of the the setup for the movie. Wild dogs coming at the in the middle of the night and sort of stuff like that. It's definitely very different for Zach Efron. I quite I think it's good to see him stretch his acting abilities, and I quite liked him in this and you know, he was happy to pretty much look like shit by the end of the movie, you know, which is get off the whole high horse. He must look good and everything because he's Zach Efron sort of, which I feel like he often, you never see him really get beaten up or bloodied or anything. And like, so yeah, I thought it was okay. Six out of 10, you know, it's okay. I just feel like it has some problems. Okay. Uh, so I checked out the new series on Apple TV plus the after party. Uh, so there's currently four episodes out. Uh, you, it follows the murder of Xavier, played by James Franco, a big celebrity pop star turned movie star, uh, who at his, uh, at the after party to his 15th high school reunion, uh, is found dead after falling from his like seaside by cliffside mansion. Uh, and somebody at the after party is the person who killed him. So it's, uh, the detective comes in, played by Tiffany Haddish, uh, and is questioning all the different people in the party, trying to figure out who was behind killing Xavier. Um, yeah, it's really fun, really enjoyable. It's got a nice twist where each episode is it features Tiffany Haddish interviewing each of the suspects, but then each of them is retelling the events of the night in a different way. So, like, obviously, in the first uh, episode... Uh, focuses on Anique, who is coming back to his 15th high school reunion, hoping to reconnect with his high school crush. It's told in, like, it's kind of like a romantic comedy type, you know, 
experience kind of thing. Uh, and then the second episode is told from like Ike Barinholtz's character's uh, perspective. And he's like an action movie star and telling dumb, cheesy one-liners and it's all about family <laughs> and bullshit. But then the third episode features uh, Jasper, played by uh, who's it? Ben Schwartz. Uh, and it's pretty much, it's just a musical. <laughs> it's filled with like a bunch of musical numbers. Uh, cause he desperately wants, uh, Jasper to bless his track. Uh, you know, much in the way that 50 Cent blessed the game. Uh, except hopefully without the ensuing beef, which is the line in the song he sings. Uh, <laughs> I found it, it is really good so far. Like a fantastic cast, like, uh, Sam Richardson, uh, Tiffany Haddish, Zoe Chow, Ike Barinholtz, Ben Schwartz, Alana Glazer, Dave Franco. Um, yeah. Lots of really cool people you've seen in really funny stuff. Uh, it's created by Christopher Law- no, Christopher Miller of Lord and Miller fame. Um, I was about to say, is that related to, but yeah, never mind. Yeah, so it's one half. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I think it's well shot and like, well, lots of laughs and uh, interesting mystery. I don't know who killed him. Is I, uh, Obviously, everybody's kind of an unreliable narrator and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's not exactly clear yet who killed him. But yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I also watched the new adaptation of the Lee Child character, R- Jack Reacher, Reacher, on Amazon Prime, uh, starring Alan Richardson as uh, Jack Reacher. Uh very much uh, an actual adaptation of Lee Child's first novel, Killing Floor, um, in which Jack Reacher, a former U.S. Army military police person, um, comes into town uh, and is soon arrested because he's suspected of killing, of being behind a, a random murder. Uh, but then there proves to be a bigger conspiracy going on and that kind of stuff. So, uh I never watched the Reacher movies with uh, Tom Cruise, but from what I've read, people seem to be very happy with this iteration, mainly because he's tall <laughs> and big. People hated Tom Cruise because he doesn't like in the books. He's described as this massive six five yeah. dude. So, so uh, yeah. So obviously he's a bit bigger and a bit more of an intimidating figure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's like pretty solid, you know, fun action uh series jack is more than willing to kill people and that kind of stuff is a, a bit kind of no nonsense uh kind of uh you know little feeling kind of gruff man uh who has a great sense of justice and whatever so uh of course there's like personal stakes in this murder investigation for him as well but i think the mystery that kind of unfolds which apparently i've gone back and had a look is is very much from the book. It's not like, you know, sometimes they do an adaptation, but like they invent a completely different story. It's like it seems like it's very closely tied to the original novel. So that should keep fans happy. I really enjoyed the sporting cast, including uh, uh, Willa Fitzgerald plays uh, Roscoe, uh, the main love interest and a local detective uh, police officer. Uh, she's really good as like in that role. So yeah. It's all drop at once or something. It's all dropped at once. It's like an Amazon, mm. one of those drop all at once ones. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, the thing I w- was thinking it reminds me the most of Jack Ryan, the uh, 
the uh, <laughs> John Krasinski series uh, that also is on Amazon, but I think that's mostly because it is on Amazon. Yeah, it's got that same kind of like vibe. Uh, but yeah, uh, this one a bit more violent, which I appreciate, and it's kind of a weird trend uh, for Amazon going forward that they just tend to have a lot of violent stuff, including the next thing I want to talk about. Legends of Vox Machina. So this is the animated adaptation of the first campaign from Critical Role. Of course, the massive Dungeons and Dragons um, series. Uh, one of the biggest live, ticks- live role play or live role play game from? series. Yeah, it is the biggest Kickstarter ever, or for like television property. Uh, yeah. So I've watched. So there's six episodes out by now. Um, I've watched all six. I'm really enjoying it so far. Like, it's really cool to see these characters, obviously, in an animated form. Seeing, obviously, they've got all the voice actors for the main crew of Vox Machina because they're all <laughs> members of Critical Role. Uh, but obviously, they got in a bunch of other people to play all of the uh, non-playable characters that would have been voiced by Mass Mercer during the actual live play sessions. Uh, so who does Matthew Mercer actually voice? Does he actually have a character? Or? He plays uh, Lord Brywood and like Which a couple of like the is main, that like a major character, major or? bad guy. Okay, right. Okay, yeah. I'm sure there'll probably like a couple other like smaller parts and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they got a lot of some big name people. Like they've got Stephanie Beatriz and uh, David Tennant and. <laughs> I was about to say, they just got all their voice actor friends, but then you were like, David Tennant? Yeah, they got a whole bunch of different interesting people, so uh, they did, like, a big cast reveal video that was uh, pretty popular received. I'm enjoying it so far. I don't know how it would feel for, like, newcomers who have no idea about the story. Like, sure, it's fun, it's violent, it's very adult, there's, like, talk of there's a song involving anal beads and a lot of sex scenes, including Scanlan. Um, but yeah, it just, I think it moves. I wish it was a bit slower paced, is what I think I come down to. Especially, I, especially comparing it to something like Invincible. I feel like that's a pretty harsh comparison because those episodes were like 40 minutes long. These are like 20. Uh, so it's a bit shorter. But there are a couple of moments there that I kind of wish they'd lingered on a bit more or had taken longer to get to. Like, obviously, there's this big moment involving Percy where he kind of goes over the edge for the first time. That it's like three episodes in, you barely you've got he's been one of eight characters in the first three episodes. You barely get to know him. And it's very surprise it's not as surprising or out of character when you barely know him at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm surprised considering it's based on like a, a campaign that took several years and was like four plus yeah, hour sessions <laughs> at a time. But it was always going to be there was going to be, there's two episodes of like original, original content, but really those first two episodes of like kind of, from what I've gathered, kind of explaining what happened pre-campaign, or at least gets them to a point where they could tell this Briarwood arc, which is where they were mostly wanting to go, what they, is mostly what they promised during the uh, Kickstarter campaign. Um, so yeah. Mm. It's, in, yeah, it, it is, you can definitely feel the time difference from something that they played. 40 something hours of in the lead up to these events compared to here's 40 minutes <laughs> get to know these characters and then these events start to unfold and that kind of stuff so um yeah i think obviously people who know the 
the story and that kind of stuff. It's it's a nice retelling of that kind of thing. Uh, but I don't know how people who have not experienced it. See how I go because I'm, I'm going to check it out. But I've never. I I only was. I never watched some of the second campaign or listened mm. to some of the second campaign. I never jumped because I attempted to get into it, but I'm like, I don't have the fucking time. Not because I didn't like it, but I was because it was 140 it. something episodes in. And yeah, four hours <laughs> three, each. And four, it's, yeah. It's just, it's like it's a it's critical role is a huge commitment. So yeah, as someone who would like to have the time to, to watch their stuff, I feel like th- that means I should definitely check out the show. I think so. Sort of yeah. like it's like oh, you want to watch our stuff, but you don't have the time. No problem. Here's the, the animated show. So yeah, I would. Yeah, that's a pretty good entry point. I would recommend reading the graphic novels. I think they're pretty great entry point. Uh, I thought they were like spinoffs. No, they're doing spinoffs, but like they did okay. like. Vox Machina Origins, which is like... Yeah, or like a prequel. That's a prequel, A prequel, right? yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. Even those events are before the the events of this campaign, so... Or this oh. TV show, so... Uh, there's certain elements I'm like, oh, is that going to be canon or not? It's like... Yeah. It's interesting. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keen to watch the rest of it. Uh, Kieran already said he wants to do a spoiler cast when it's all finished, so... Uh, look forward to more Legend of Vox Machina content coming to. What do you want to watch? Uh, Dylan, you watched a bunch of horror stuff. <laughs> uh, they called movies, Ash. Sure. Tell us about Slapface. Uh, Slapface was pretty good. What did I give this? I don't know. I can't remember. I gave it a high enough score, I think. Uh, so this is a movie that sort of got a typical monster setup in which this young boy uh, is sort of being bullied and... Um, doesn't have the greatest home life. His family, his mum and dad died um, prior to the movie starting and he's sort of just under the care of his older brother who I presume has been like made his legal guardian and, and that's why they're, you know, it's not just, oh, you're the older brother. Sure, legally you can just live with him. Um, but he, at home, he, and the movie starts with this scene where um, his brother, his older brother who must be like 20-something or whatever, he's slapping the boy uh whom i'd say is like maybe like 11 probably i'd guess i don't really know um 11 12 the but he's like slapping him and you feel it because you're like and you quickly learn that it's a thing that, that they've agreed upon that when the the younger brother does something wrong instead of like talking about it or you know having normal conversation about why did you do that or you know like raising a child properly i guess uh they play this game called Slapface where they will just slap each other but the little obviously being a little boy he doesn't have as much anywhere near the same strength that his older brother does so like he'll slap him but it's just like you know sort of bounces it's off coming back and, tenfold yeah yeah and then the other one then his older brother just like slaps him and his fucking face just goes like completely sideways and it's loud and everything but um and then outside that, he doesn't do well at school. It's it's very obvious early in the movie that he's just not dealing with the loss of his parents well, and he doesn't really have a good support network at all. And then he getting bullied at school by these girls, one of which he likes, and she likes him back, but because her friends don't like him, she like pretends to pick on him in front of him of of in front of her friends. But then secretly, she's like normal to him. But as soon as the other girl show up, she's like kicking him and like all this stuff. So this kid's just not in a, a good place. Uh, one day, he's dead to go into this building. He discovers this monster who's like some creepy witch looking 
thing. I don't know. It has like a mask on. It's hard to describe. So, and from that point on, that monster starts doing nasty things to people who pick on uh, the boy is sort of the non-spoily way, I guess I would put it. But the monster element's sort of the, the weakest, least interesting thing of the movie. I think it's at its best when it's just, it's that whole like, Gilmero del Toro sort of thing where in all his movies the monsters aren't even the bad guys it's sort of the um or they're not the biggest bad guys it's just actually usually the people and that's mostly the case here I think thematically the movie really worked for me I, I understood and got and vibe with what it was sort of trying to talk about and stuff so yeah I, I like this one I gave it like a I don't know seven eight or something I don't know seven there you go there you go uh, tell us about the last thing Mary saw. I did not like this movie. No, I gave, you did not. I gave this uh, three, I think. Yep. Um, it was just shit, to be honest. It was like so. It's just came across very try hard to me, and like aggressively try hard. It's which there's this really funny scene in the recent Scream movie where the characters start screaming about elevated horror and how it's so much better than slasher flicks and stuff. Um, elevated horror, as far as I'm concerned, isn't really a real genre. I know that most people know what that means. I don't know if you like, so elevated horror is a term that people have made up for Ari Aster movies and like stuff like the witch and like horror movies that aren't really horror movies, but they're more just like suck. The, the thing is, Elevated horror comes down to them just being psychological thrillers. But for some reason, we're not calling them psychological thrillers. We're calling them elevated horror. Like, people are like, hereditary, elevated horror. It's just a, it's a psychological, it's a, just call it a psychological thriller. Like, no need to be so fucking upmarket about it. Um, the last thing Mary saw is a movie that's trying to hit that same genre. So it's set during the, fuck, I find no. Um, set during the, maybe, like, fucking, uh, fucking, 19 somethings anyway early days uh they have electricity they have stuff so but i mean you know they're ultra christian catholic family whatever it is i can't actually remember i think maybe it's catholic um and they have like a vow of silence it's like that sort of thing not allowed to speak and one of the girls uh of the family is in love with uh one of the girls who's the maid and they're having this secret romance and they're plotting to escape and they're trying to do this. And of course, everyone's sort of in the house, hears and sees things. And um, it's more or less, it's like 90 minutes of watching these girls get punished and then in slow, drawn out scenes. And then also just dialogue that's really wanky. And but if you've never heard me say that before, when I call something wanky, I mean, it's it's just fluffy dialogue that's, blown up for no reason so people go on these like monologues and whatever else and you can tell the movie thinks it's saying something smart but it's not it's just wanky dialogue it doesn't actually need to exist um but yeah you have to watch like they parish the girls by making them like kneel on uncooked rice for like days or weeks or whatever it was i can't remember um so that's sort of this grueling thing where we have to watch these girls be tortured for hours and there's sort of a payoff at the end, I guess, but ultimately I was like, I don't understand the point of this movie. And the biggest problem is that for this movie to have any chance of you enjoying it, you have to like the two leads and you have to sympathize with their romance, to which none of that happens. Like the the movie's just like, oh, these two characters love each other. Like, okay, show me. 
nah. <laughs> do these characters, do these two actresses have any any chemistry with one another? No, seems like they hate each other, in fact. Like, it's just, it does not work if they, I feel like even some better casting. And not to say the actors are bad, like, no offense to the girls. It's just, like, I just don't feel like they had on-screen chemistry at all for this role, and it doesn't make the movie work. So, um, yeah, I, di- I didn't like it. I would suggest, these are both Shudder movies. So, of my recent Shudder reviews, the one to watch is Slapface. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, you also ventured out to the cinema and you watched uh, the big Will Smith film, King Richard. Yeah, I love tennis. Love tennis. Getting into the Australian uh, Open spirit. Yeah. All about that body party. All about that body party, yeah. Um, no, I really, really enjoyed this movie. This movie actually made me enjoy tennis, so that was good. Um, but yeah, if you don't know what this is, this is the... Um, fuck, what's the last name? <laughs> The Williams sisters. The Williams sisters, yeah. Um, and focuses on them and their father, who's played by Will Smith. And you, it's their sort of their very interesting life or early life story. Like, it, it only follows them up until, I don't know, maybe she's 16, the older one. I can't remember which one's which, to be honest. Venus is yeah, the older one. There you go, Venus. It follows um, them up to maybe she's 16. Um, sort of, I don't think it's the spot to say like sort of finishes after like a major sort of thing, like big thing that happens in her life when she's sort of 16. Um, but yeah, it's not like, Hey, here's the entire life story of them. It's just, here's how they got from, I didn't know anything about them or, or like I knew who they were obviously, cause who doesn't know who they are, but not to the point that I can remember which one's which or fucking anything. Cause I don't really like or watch tennis, but they're big known sports stars. So of course I knew who they were. Uh, but I had no idea they came from Compton and all this other sort of stuff that was sort of crazy to watch. Like, movie has scenes where they're like, Will Smith's like training them. Or, well, playing, Will Smith playing their dad is training them uh, in like this tennis court in Compton or whatever. And you have like people drive up and like try and like talk to the girls and like real creepy. Like, you know, obviously they're underage and, you know, like it's just this whole. It's it's like oh I didn't know they like really came from fucking literally the bottom to the top sort of uh, story so it's really really interesting but um, I think I enjoyed the first half the most which is when they're sort of struggling training all this sort of stuff uh, about halfway through the movie you get involved with um fuck what's his name I'm um, from he's like he's the Punisher whatever his name is um, John Bernthal yeah John Bernthal yeah yeah Bernthal sorry. Um, he's like introduced as uh, this Coach. trainer dude or whatever, I guess, um, person. Uh, <clears throat> like the halfway point. Not to say the movie goes bad then. It's just a different tone. Like from then it's it's this weird period of, and I guess nothing's really a spoiler because it's a biography, right? Like to a degree. Mm. But like it's this weird period of life where they're Will Smith's character, King Richard, whatever his real name is, Richard. Um, they're, like he refuses to let Venus play for like years and it's just this weird sort of turns into a weird movie where they're like constantly training and then he's just being like a really annoying character and John Bernthal's constantly being like can you let her play and he's like nah dude like <laughs> we gotta let these kids be kids and John Bernthal's character whatever I, I'd like to know how much this dialogue's real or based on reality conversation but like, they, they go home to their big mansion house they got now or whatever and he's like well, I'm paying for this shit and you've given me nothing and he's like I'll talk about that later dude like <laughs> like 
It's just, I mean, it's a really yeah. He's a, an eccentric character, from what I understand. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it's actually Israel. I watched a lot. I went home as soon as I finished watching it in the cinema. I came home. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos. It is insane how well Will Smith. Like Will Smith should and probably will get an Oscar nomination for this role. Like I know it's not to say that the, this isn't a movie where everything else. Like I think the movie is really really strong. I think, um, but I feel like it probably is not going to be best picture. Well, maybe, but I feel like if anything, Will Smith's definitely going to get nominated and he deserves it because he, like I teared up at one point and there's a hundred percent between the chemistry he has, like Will Smith is like doing his, when Will Smith acts, he can fucking act. And this is like, this is him doing his acting thing, right? Mm. Not just being Will Smith, being Will Smith sort of thing, but that's really good. But like I was watching some of these videos back of the real life stuff and the way he talks the accent, the sort of hunch in the way he walks, like the way he sort of moves his legs. Like Will Smith has like, it is insane, like how much he's sort of mastered it. It is one of those roles where it, he literally feels like he becomes the the character, which is which is insane. But um, yeah, I learned a lot about tennis watching this movie too, like how the game's played, uh, the rules, <laughs> which was, a good, <laughs> which was a, an, another thing. And yeah, you I mean, obviously- what 40 love means now. Yeah, they have this stereotypical sports movie thing where, of course, the last like twenty minutes, whatever, is a um a match, you know, like an intense, uh, you know, typical sports movie thing, um or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is the most I've ever been into watching a tennis match. <laughs> like, and I and I don't know what's going to happen because I'm like, I don't know anything. I've never like watched uh, or been into tennis enough to know what the results are of like these characters and like all these people and what happens in their lives. So, uh, but yeah, I'd highly suggest watching King Richard. I thought it was fantastic. Um, both the girl actresses who, um, I don't remember their names off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I think they're basically new anyway. Um, fresh comers. Uh, they're fantastic as well. Um, but yeah, Will Smith is sort of the, like, he is really, really good in this. Awesome. I'm definitely keen to check it out at some point. Uh, so I watched this, uh, special. I don't know how, what you would just, this film. Is this the thing you tweeted about? Cause if yes. so, yeah, I'm keen to hear why I need to watch this. So. So it's called it Derek Delgado's uh, In and of Itself. So this was an off-Broadway production that was done uh, in New York City, obviously. 500 and something days. One man show. Um, and yeah, it is... <laughs> it's hard to put into words. <laughs> it is kind of a very autobiographical piece about uh, this gentleman... Um, and kind of him sharing it with the audience. He is a trained magician, so that's an element of the show. Um, but he makes it, it's kind of this exploration of like identity and like how do we view ourselves and how, what, you know, do, uh, what do our actions make us who we are? Do our memories make us who we are? Does what happened to us make us who we are? Um, but yeah, some of the things he pulls off in this is, pretty incredible um i don't want to go into too much detail about some of the stuff but um i think this might actually as cool as it probably was seeing it like on broadway and like experience being in that room as this the events of this are happening this is probably a better way to experience it uh because obviously like a lot of concert shows and uh stand-up specials and that kind of stuff they film it over several shows yeah to get the best, uh, yeah, to get the best reactions, reactions that kind of stuff. So you get the reactions of several different crowds reacting to several different things, 
and there's certain elements of like audience participation that you get to see different reactions for and they've also like added some animation elements to like go over the top some of the longer monologues and that kind of stuff uh yeah it's directed by frank oz the the special whatever uh but yeah it is really good i felt i think i was trying to find where i found it and uh it was ranked on uh uh film school reject best movies of 2021 at number 18 so i was about to say how did you even hear and find this Things. Yeah, it's very random. Very rare. So it came out on Hulu like this time last year, but now it's only just come out on Disney Plus. So just a random happenstance that I managed to see it on Just Watch that it had come out. So uh, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna check this out, and I'm really glad I did. I would recommend everybody else checking it out, uh, especially if you know. I don't think if you know more than what I've said here, it will greatly affix your experience. But I would go in knowing as little as possible just to. I don't know what it is, and you just said explain. So I mean, <laughs> you don't feel don't like it. What I, would, yeah. I still don't know what I'd be pressing play on. Oh, then there's a live something. <laughs> it's a live stage show, one live man show. show. Is it funny? At times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is an experience. Yeah, I would definitely recommend. Uh, and then speaking of experiences, I watched the uh, <gasps> docu series. We need to talk about Cosby. So it debuted the first episode. Oh, this is out. At, yeah, it's out on Paramount Plus. Ah, yes. Yeah, so cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I, I think I don't know. I feel like Paramount Plus is like giving itself pretty, pretty good, good so reason. Far. Yeah, yeah. yeah, giving itself reason to like continue to be subscribed to. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously the first episode debuted at Sundance. Um, so the full thing is out now. Uh, directed by Camus Bell, I want to say, uh, or W. Camus Bell, who is like a TV host, and he did like, uh, what was it, uh, Totally Biased, which was a show on FX, in which he like, it was pretty much like a Daily Show-esque kind of talk show thing back in the mid-2010s. Um, but yeah, trust, this is kind of a look back at the career of... Uh, Bill Cosby and kind of charting his uh, influence on culture and like his rise uh, as a celebrity, but then also intercut with um, people's experiences with him with the other Bill Cosby, the one that we never got to see, the one who was a predator and a uh, a drugger and a rapist, um, and kind of you know a piece of shit. A pe- yeah, well that's kind of a given. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so it's kind of this interesting study of, like, again, artists versus art and, like, how the, can these people still appreciate him for... Because you go through it and he did, like, a lot of good stuff. He's, like, he was a big educator and he donated a lot of money to a lot of good causes and stuff. But then, again, he was, like, drugging people and raping them. So, I mean... It's pretty hard to look past that. Yeah, Nazi um, synthesizers like to bring up how Hitler donated to fucking charity. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and then the other interesting thing about it is, obviously, they were finishing up filming, like, mid-last year. And then Bill Cosby got released mm. from jail. So, uh, they get some of the people's reactions to that. They're obviously, um, like, survivors and that kind of stuff of his assault victims and that kind of thing. And... Uh, 
yeah, it's pretty messed up when. Yeah, I thought. I thought this wasn't out till like later in the year, so I might have to resubscribe if I just cancelled. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. not like I've lost money by it. No, just use a different email. Um, oh, that's true. I can get seven. That. Nah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was really well put together and like, I I've, if I would say that he 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 does a good job of coming across a little bit unbiased, even though he, he is pro very anti rape. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very difficult subject matter and like, um, but yeah, hearing it, this in this context, I think is very important. And then I feel like, especially in the last episode where they kind of go into the why people would still defend Bill Cosby despite all these allegations over all these years. I mean, and why? Sort of like, like the Woody Harrison thing I watched. No, fucking Woody Allen thing I watched. Uh, what was that last year? You know, the Woody versus. But it's got a different, like, it's a rates thing as well. Like, obviously, no, but I mean, a- this, I mean, just the subject matter of how do people keep supporting after so many allegations and. That sort of yeah, stuff. that's true. I mean, they're yeah. very different. They're very different stories, but like yeah. the whole art versus uh, artists and that and kind of stuff. Artists, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, there's got it's pretty messed up. Like people going, you see footage of obviously him work, doing his shows, stand up shows, while people are protesting him outside and like people inside laughing and shit. It's like it's like why? I mean, and sure, he was a great stand up comedian in his time, but you know. It's like how do you? It, it's interesting. The I same, feel <laughs> I have this thing. Like and I was gonna say it because I feel like this. I just don't understand. And him or anyone or any one of these people, none of them are that good. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they, I don't care. Mm. Like someone, there's so many like actors, comedians. You know what I mean? Like I just don't feel like there's anyone that could ever be that good. That like means so much that like just move on. Like there's there's so many yeah. like just go. There's find so many this. talented people out there. Yeah, I'm like, why do we need to focus? Like, I just don't get it. But no, uh, yeah, I think I think the only thing is there's like they bring up uh Hannibal Burris in like the last episode because like he was he did like a stand up bit and he's like going off about. Bill Cosby and says you should Google you should definitely Google Bill Cosby rape you'll get more hit it gets more hits than Hannibal Boris as like that was kind of a turning point for the discussion around Bill Cosby uh but he isn't in the movie which is weird uh but other than that I feel like they got a lot of important people and like a lot of different voices um a lot of like uh what's the word like a lot of scholars and like people with like backgrounds like in studying him, in studying education, in studying uh, sex, uh, studying uh, predators and that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's very well-rounded and, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting watch, uh, even if it is a bit of a top watch. So, yeah, that's... We need to talk about Co- Cosby. Hmm. Uh, on Paramount Plus now. Seven days free. Seven day free remember. trial. Well, you can, you can, I think, what, you can get a free trial through Amazon Prime. Can so, I? Will it not realize it's my same? I don't think so. Oh, find out soon. <laughs> find out soon. All right. Uh, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. 
Uh, so I watched the new series that came to at Netflix, Murderville. So this is a TV series in which uh, Will Arnett plays a police detective, uh, but each episode he is partnered with a different celebrity guest detective trainee, mm. <laughs> and they but go Mike. through. Oh, no, but wait, I was like, he has a <laughs> he has a script. They don't. So, uh, it's pretty much them. Imp- they have to kind of improv their way through different interviews and scenarios. There's, it, it's a little bit formulaic where each, each episode, there's three different suspects. So they're going to interview the three different suspects. Uh, and general, there's, of course, going to be one scene in which they're going to wear an earpiece and Will Arnett is going to tell them exactly what to do and what to say. Um, and they've got to try and not break <laughs> in, in front of the people. But then, at the end of the f- episode, they need to pick who they think is the murderer, and then the police detective, the police chief, comes out and tells them who the actual murderer is, if they're right or wrong. Um, this so this is based on a British TV series called Murder and Successville. So it's like, yeah, I, I looked this up when they announced this, and I looked up the original, but the original looked like it was like it had celebrities playing themselves or something like. Yeah, it's of- a little bit more. Over the even more extreme than this, where like there were yeah. there were celebrities playing themselves, but like all of these celebrities like are introduced as themselves. Like yeah, the first episode is Conan O'Brien, so it's Conan O'Brien, like Conan O'Brien as a cop. Well, it's Conan O'Brien as a cop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then in that one, it seems like they had other people playing other celebrities, which is just an extra level of weird. Uh, but no, this one's a bit more streamlined although there's like an ongoing story of the police chief and uh well and his character used to be were married and they're now separated and like them bickering and that kind of stuff and he's also got his partner who was murdered 17 years ago uh, that he's never gotten to go go over who the picture is of jennifer anderson which is funny uh <laughs> but yeah i really enjoyed it like it is fun seeing it's like kind of a weird twist on like thank god you're here like not not as that extreme as that because obviously that is a literally the show I compare when I watch the trailer of a week, um straight away I'm like oh so it's like thank God you're here but l- like taken to a semi scripted more serious yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah more serious like uh, less bullshitty uh, <laughs> that was the last good show on Australian TV probably yeah so. that's 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 a fact yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, it, there's a lot of really good celebrity guest stars. Obviously, you've got Conan O'Brien. They've got Marshall Lynch, who's, who's quite funny. Uh, Sharon Stone, Shakespeare's Creed, Annie Murphy, Kamal Nujani. Uh, and then there's Ken Jeong, who, unsurprisingly, is very not good at keeping a straight face. So that was a particularly fun episode to watch. Uh, yeah, so there's like six, six episodes available. Will Arnett looks like he's having a great time. Um, yeah. It's, I think it's pretty solid, so I would recommend checking out Murderville on Netflix. Isn't it funny how there's two murder shows that came out like within a week of one another? It's crazy. With different streaming services. Yeah. I mean, murder shows are in vogue right now, you know? That's true. You know, Mayor of Easttown, be a show. Murder's always been... Uh, Murder's been very popular. Very popular, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan, you got around to watching Britney vs. Spears. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I thought it was Talked pretty about good. about it a while I f- ago, yeah. I feel... Um, I feel like it doesn't like it rushes towards the end. It's just sort of like 
blah, 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 blah. And here's like three or four pages of text that's like, then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And on this day, this this thing happened. But it's like such the monumental thing of Britney obviously winning her freedom. I'm like, why is, like, mm. like, did you have to rush to get this movie finished? Like, why wouldn't, even if he was in the editing room and all this stuff started happening, surely you're like, whoa, 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 the movie's not done. Like, let's keep going here sort of thing. So that part I thought was a bit weird, but um, all in all, I thought it did a very good job at sort of focusing on the main topic for the majority. Like, oh, no, there's two topics, I guess. Like, at the start, it's the whole celebrity focus that we as a society seem to have for some reason and you know just seeing her surrounded by his paparazzi and all that sort of stuff and you know it's funny i was thinking covid and all that sort of stuff when's the last time you saw any crazy like paparazzi things paparazzi celebrity things i mean no. maybe i just as someone who doesn't care maybe like, they've all gone a bit they've had to have career changes because they can't do paparazzi True. i'm sure there's a period there all where the people they, in their house yeah Sure, there's a period there where paparazzi had to get like different jobs or tried to do something else because there just wouldn't have been at least for that first year of COVID. Maybe now they're back at it. I don't know, but um, yeah, I feel like that that was that focus and sold the message well. And then once you get into the the stuff of her family, I feel like there's just a lot more here that could have been explored. And almost it should have been maybe a mini series or something to just get the the whole thing mm. told better because um, it does feel rushed at points. But I thought overall it was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then you watch the first episode of The Puppet Master. The fuck is that? <laughs> I don't know. Some weird crime series. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay. That's what that's called. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the, the Puppet Master, uh, Hunting the Ultimate Comment. Yeah, watch the first episode. It's only three episodes. Um, I will be watching the rest because it's, it's really interesting. But um, it's it sets it up in the first episode. It's like. Hey, here's this uh, son, uh, daughter, and ex-husband of this woman who's run off and disappeared with this man, and uh, they, they're more or less explaining how this guy is a, a con person who like tricked their his way into the, uh, their family, and um, he like um, got you know the family the the, the son eventually left the house because he's like being locked out of the house by this guy once he moved in all this like all these horror stories and stuff they're talking about and then they're also flashing back to this other guy who's telling a story about how he was living in um i guess it's ireland yeah and they were like back in the 70s or whatever and this guy came in he was like oh i'm working for the cia who the hell was and all like so you've got these two ends of this character and how he's like just to comment in different parts of life and telling lies and getting all this money out of people and getting them to literally run around states and places and whatever else. And I don't know it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, how do people a fall for this? But also maybe I shouldn't think that cause like the people's lives have got fucked up and it's like victim blaming. But also it is that thing of like, how does people get away with this stuff? Cause some of these lies this dude was telling are just uh, insane and whatever else. But um, yeah, he's a con man. I don't. I haven't googled him to find out like if there's an like there's a finale finish to this that's sort of happy or whatever. But there's only two more episodes, so hopefully get back to it sometime soon. But yeah, he's uh, as far as I can tell, present day run off with someone, and b- back in the past he was messing around with these like group of three, four young twenty year old or teenagers or whatever they were at the time. I can't remember. And um, yeah, it's just weird. It's just like I don't know how 
how I don't know how fucked up of an individual you have to be in your head to do what someone like this person can to people because yeah, it's just like it's. I don't say like it's maybe it sounds weird, but like it's almost just as bad as killing someone. I feel like because it's just or like it's like a very long term just psychological warfare. It's just it's just weird. I just don't know how you do it. But yeah, I, I, I wasn't enjoying the first episode. All right, that's everything I watched history. Let's move into some film news or film discussion. Anyway, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about. Obviously, we've got the latest episodes of the Book of Bob Fett come out. Um, and there, there has been a lot of discussion in the Star Wars fandom uh, about two particular topics. I uh, thought we could kind of go in a little bit more in depth here or like talk about it again in kind of uh, a bigger forum. Uh, so I guess spoilers, if you haven't seen the last two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, well, specifically the final, last episode, uh, I would like to skip ahead maybe 10, 15 minutes. Uh, yeah. So with that said... <laughs> Done. We got 20-something minutes of CG Luke Skywalker this past episode. A decision that has kind of divided the fandom. Uh, people who liked it and desperately wanted to see a version of Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker on, the, on their screens once again, doing different stuff, uh, even if he sounds like a, you know, a robot. Um... <laughs> And moves kind of like a robot. Uh, and then there's obviously the audience who was like, no, this is not a good way to go forward for this franchise or for filmmaking in general. Uh, I'm I'm guessing I know what side of the of the, <laughs> the argument you're on, but uh, do you want to share with the audience? I hate it. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just weird. So I, th- I feel like I'll put it this way. I didn't mind Tarkin because at the time it was, I was like, all right, this, at the time it was just flashbang of a, of this movie going back to that time period. Let's just connect the sort of connect the prequels to the, the, the original trilogy. It was this sort of weird movie. I was like, fine. Plus Tarkin, although CGI was performed on set by a real actor and his voice is performed by a real actor. So there's elements of, reality there and i would say that tarkin performance is a lot better than any of this luke stuff and that's because the luke stuff it's all computer like not only well, is it a no, CGI character apparently mark hamill is on stage on on set yeah they have a body double do the same yeah. thing on set and then they do some sort of mark hamill is there literally to so he can feel good there is no literally no other reason he's there because he's not the person they're using so the body double gets stu- is there doing the stuff then he's cgi'd over with this uh basically deep fake shit and then the voice is created by an ai program that's just been fed a bunch of mark hamill audio from clean audio from back in the 80s or whatever so if you're ever like why does the performance sound like a robot it's because it is it is literally a robot um I think it's terrible. I just don't understand. So, like, complaints about story stuff aside, because, like, maybe just save that for, like, if you want to hear complaints about story stuff, check out Holo- uh, Holocron Entries, our Star Wars podcast, where we've been discussing each episode, I guess. But, like, story complaints aside, I don't, if you were going to do this, 
why aren't we just hiring a Sebastian Stan or someone else? I don't understand. Because I really, as much as I think the Star Wars fandom sucks on most days, I really f- don't feel like if you hired someone who was a really good actor, who looks somewhat like, somewhat like Luke, that maybe the complaints would be at first on Twitter when it's announced, but if it's done well, everyone would get the fuck over it five minutes into mm. seeing that performance on screen, if it was good. So... I don't know why, like prosthetic, prosthetics and makeup to slightly alter someone to look a bit more like a young Mark Hamill and just go with that. I, I don't get it. Cause then at least then you can get a performance that has life behind Wait. the eyes and <laughs> yeah. like some emotion to the lines and delivery. Because yeah, this, this is literally just bringing it. It's not a good precedent. I don't feel like for Star Wars or any other franchise. Because you know, like, 10 years from now, they're just going to be CGIing Robert Downey Jr. into fucking Marvel or some shit. And then it's just not... It doesn't make for good storytelling. Like, it doesn't make for a good performance. It's just... It's it's just like a plastic toy on screen. It's it's void of anything. It's just... I, I, I don't like it. I don't think it's good. I think, I think, like, Disney and Marvel started with this technology in the right place. And I feel like they used it effectively where they were, like, sort of de-aging actors like Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Michael Douglas and whoever else to do some of these flashbacky sort of scenes in MCU and all that sort of stuff. I think that's totally fine. I think the Tarkin thing, I had no problem with. As I said, like, I'll stand by. I I thought that was fine in that movie. Uh, maybe in retrospect, I should have hated that. So now I've ended up here, but in retrospect, like I was totally fine with that. The layer thing I thought looked pretty crap, but it was like five seconds, whatever. It's not the end of the world. Who cares? Um, yeah, now we're here. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a super fan of it either. I think, um, like you said, there isn't much life to it. It is certain to a certain degree, just action figures on screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is kind of an interesting it's definitely a technology it's it's definitely a case of we can do it but should we uh that hasn't been asked um and it is kind of exclusively in star wars at the moment there is like one other big franchise movie that i can think of recently that has had a cgi model of a character um you you know what i thought of that too you didn't like that either. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of in- it. It raises a bunch of like ethical questions and like uh, how, like obviously, you know, this voice is not actually Mark Hamill doing a delivery of the performance. It is a- an amalgamation of his uh, of an AI, like figuring out from his past work how he would potentially sound. Um, and yeah, I, I, as to why you think, why they don't hire a new actor, I'd be interested to see. I would have been interesting to ask if the like reaction to Solo is the reason why. Because, because they recast all those people and that was not well performing. And like, they're like, oh, we can't, like, we can't recast the like original core people ever again. Uh, which is a stupid thing. It's like, I understand why you want to keep the same actors doing the same thing through history. Obviously, we're in this uh, era of, like, connected universes and, like, everybody looks the same in everything. Uh, but before with that, we had people being recast left, and left, right, and center in all sorts of stuff. 
you only need to look at James Bond, which is one of the biggest franchises in the world, and like, and it's make believe. Like, end of the day, as much as people like to believe these things are real and their life depends on it, it is just acting. Like the whole idea is you have someone act, you buy into performance. It doesn't matter if they're playing fucking Hamlet or Luke Skywalker. Like, it's acting. Yeah. It's a role. And with hair and makeup now, you can almost pull off completely ridiculous transformations. Yeah. Like, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but obviously we, Tommy and Pam, or Pam and Tommy just came out. And if you had have told me that Sebastian Stan and Lily James were going to be Pamela mm-hmm. Anderson and Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Tommy Lee, just Tommy Lee. Yeah. I th- that's the next thing I'm going to watch. I've been trying to I hope nights, but I've- Actually, I've I do to- hope Sebastian put Stan plays Tommy Lee Jones at some point. Maybe you will. Um, I was going to watch it the other day, um, and I was nearly going to go watch a movie on Saturday, as you know, but instead I ended yep. up playing a video game that I thought was maybe a little bit more important than I decided to do that. But to- uh, Pam and Tommy, or Tommy and Pam, whatever the fuck it's called, I think that's the next TV show I'll be watching. But everything I've seen, positive reviews and stuff, and all the pictures and released and stuff, yep. it's really fucking good. I was reading an article, even because uh, I don't think it had any spoilers in it, but I was just reading an article about the makeup and prosthetics and that sort of stuff the other day. Uh, prosthetic boobs prosthetic dicks you know fucking hair and makeup like it's the full like it's classic movie making techniques that lead to a actors being able to do what's most important which is act you know i mean if you want to bring up like another comparison i don't think i've seen anyone else bring up but like the irishman right yes that is a movie that is really interesting to look at because although it isn't perfect and um, Joe Pesci, in an interview or whatever, Mark Scorsese, said, Scorsese or Robert De Niro at first said that Joe Pesci didn't want to do the movie because he didn't want to wear shit all over his face. Mm. And he ended up not having to because of the technology that used to de-age in that movie. And although you have complaints about certain things, like when the characters are supposed to be younger, but they're like moving like they're really old and there's like a behind the scenes clip you can watch of Martin Scorsese directing Al Pacino where he stands up like an old man and Martin Scorsese he's like, no, we have to do the scene again because you're like moving like you're 70. <laughs> and Al Pacino's like, well, I am fucking like, <laughs> you know, so it's um, that's all very interesting. But that movie used, I think, the technology almost correctly where you still have the core physical... Uh, and vocal performances of all the actors involved. You know, I've seen Martin Scorsese in interviews describe the technology as simply being 21st century digital makeup, which I feel like is one way to put it. I feel like that's my line currently as to what I'm sort of comfortable with and I think should be done best. I, I, I'll put it this way I feel like wherever possible, makeup, prosthetics, hair, all that sort of stuff. It's so good these days that that should be what your aim should be. If everything else fails and you can do sort of that Irishman, some of that Marvel stuff I mentioned, de-aging Robert Downey Jr. and whatever, I also feel like that's fine if that's the only way you can achieve what you need to do. And you well, really like, need to- Like, what I think of as well is like Bill Nye in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Like, uh, David Jones is obviously a squid-faced person. <laughs> yeah. But that Couldn't really, really do with that with prosthetics, but- no. So there that are still looks like a real person yeah. at times. Because um, I was going to say, in my opinion, I think Irishman would have been a better movie if they'd simply cast someone as young Robert Downey, uh, as young Robert De Niro and so on and so forth. And yeah. you just get good actors. However, because they're such good fucking actors, <laughs> it's the movie's 
still good. Like they uh, go, but I feel like that's my personal line as to where I think these new techniques work. Um, and it's, it means that you still have to have a way in which actors can give actual performances. Cause if you're taking away the acting, then what are we doing? Like, yeah, w- what's the point? You just literally have a robot. Like, like Star Wars this past week, you're literally watching someone in prosthetics and makeup standing next to a completely bullshit character that's all CGI. I mean, it's personal set, but ultimately, when we're watching it, it's like someone in makeup talking to someone who's not even real, whose voice isn't real, who, and they're looking at a puppet. puppet. Like, what the, f- like, it's literally several generations of movie making techniques, <laughs> and two of them stand up and look r- good. One of them mm. sucks ass. So, and it's the most recent one. And in fact, we said it on the Holocron entries when we were talking about it. The fact the puppet looks so good <laughs> just <laughs> says a lot. Like, practical things just are always going to look better. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty interesting discussion. Like, what, how far away away from, like, them, it being possible to, like, bring back a deceased actor to play a proper full-on role i mean there was discussion of somebody being cast from memory um in a movie and they were going to completely cgi them into the movie and like use ai it seems like that reality is getting closer and closer and can you think about think about something like hellboy Hmm. that movie would now just be i reckon if they made that today i know there was one that came out like three four years ago (laughs) I know, two or years whatever ago. it was, two years ago. And I didn't watch it because it looked like crap. And didn't you watch it and say it was crap? So yeah, it, it was on good. Matter, but, but I mean, think about those Richard Gilmero del Toro ones and the fact that it's just makeup and um, costumes and yeah. all that, even though all those characters are literally fantasy creatures and stuff like mm. that. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's... that's <laughs> Is there's a lot of lot to think about, and I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and everyone's just been tweeting about the Last Jedi again today. I was like, "What the open Twitter is that's this afternoon on lunch?" It's like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, <laughs> I mean, does anybody ever not talk about the Last Jedi? I fucking, I thought it was over. Is is the Last Jedi the most talked about movie of all time? <sighs> Maybe at least of the twenty of this generation of the on social media. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head a while ago when you said that was kind of a turning point for maybe the entire industry and this whole nostalgia-based um, <sighs> desire to, like, feed on people's nostalgia of different properties. Um, I think it is. I don't even feel like I'm hyperbolic when I say that. I think The Last Jedi was it. And, like, I don't, I don't think that's like a, oh, everyone should hate Ryan Johnson for what he's done to us. Like... Like, he made a fantastic movie, but um, it is definitely, like, a point in time where you can just sort of look at that and go, that film, as oh. much as people like to pretend that the these hateful Styles fans are such a minority, I just feel like that was such a turning point. Hmm. Yeah. You look, look at all the, like, legacy sequels and franchises that could have continued, uh, looking backwards rather than looking forwards is uh, pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. For people who want new things to get excited for, to new characters to get excited for. All right, and I said I did say you can do it right. Matrix, Resurrections, Matrix Resurrections, right. Scream Five. There's occasion does it right. 
So, like, there are ways to treat your past, and Star Wars The Last Jedi does its uh, legacy characters right, uh, treats them correctly while moving them forward and all these other things. There are right, there are right ways to do movies, sequels to old movies, and treat the characters and move the stories forward without it feeling just like a attempt to rub the testicles of fanboys. It's a hell of a way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a few different smaller stories. Uh, we finally got a new piece of casting news for Fast 10, a movie that's coming soon. Uh, Jason Momoa is set to star as a villain in Fast and Furious 10. Uh, Dylan, how do you feel about Aquaman coming to face Perfect. Dom? I don't know if he's a good guy or bad guy, did they say? Actually, I th- I've seen villain, so okay. Either way, um, he'll be a good guy by then, probably. Um, perfect. Fingers crossed. Like, he's Jacob's boyfriend. That's my, that's my dream. I'd love that. I, I'm down for that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think it's great casting. I mean, he, uh, Jason Momoa will fit in that franchise perfectly. I'd, it doesn't really matter what character he plays. Good guy, bad guy. What well, if he plays like, Hobbs? Nah, that would be horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. But yeah, we got to recast I, I, Hobbs. I know. We got one more Fast and Furious movie. The f- just two. What? Oh, two parts. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, obviously I'm excited, but yeah, just go cast all the big, muscly, sexy men and just put them all in the last almost, one. Almost, almost do the expendables, but. Yeah. But like better, like with characters I care about. So. But with actors you care about. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he seems like a good fit for that, that crazy audience and why wouldn't you want to be in one of the highest grossing franchises another one of the highest grossing franchises of all time uh yeah as long as it doesn't affect his schedule <laughs> and doing what he's he's a he's got aquaman coming out later this year he's obviously working on two two so uh oh no he would be he may or may not be in two two <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah busy guy uh we got Confirmation that there is a series order for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Uh, so, so this is obviously the fantasy series written by Rick Rawdon, uh, that had two feature films in 2010 and 2013, respectively, um, which the author didn't like. Fans didn't particularly like. I have a soft spot for them. I think they're quite fun, dumb kids movies. Uh, but yeah, obviously coming to Disney Plus now. Directed by James Bobbin, uh, with Rick Riordan involved heavily. Did you have any attachments to the series? Um, I've read like the first book, I think, and I watched Percy Jackson. The f- I've watched the first one. Um, I watched that in the cinema, and I think around twenty nineteen or twenty ten was when I started my first blog where I was writing movie reviews, hmm. and I think I remember giving it like a five out of ten which I'd stand by. Mm. I did not think it was very good. I remember complaining mostly about Uma Thurman. She's in it, right? Yeah, she's like Medusa, yeah. Yeah, I remember complaining most about her, and that's more or less what I can remember about the movie. Um, I did not like it to the point that I didn't bother watching the sequel, so that's where I would stand on that. Um, And also Alexandra Daedrio. The Dario. And then she's obviously gone on to big things, but then I'm like, who the fuck was the kid? (laughs) What's he doing? Logan Lerman. Uh, What's he doing? Well, he did perks of being a wallflower like two years later. And then yeah, recently, he was he was in Fury, uh, that tank movie. 
And then oh, he was on right. the TV series Hunters recently. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm keen to check it out. I think obviously, you know, obviously there are a lot of fans of the books. Um, it's an interesting trend that's going on at the moment of failed movie franchises based on storybooks being adapted to television. Um, obviously, I talked earlier about Reacher. That. <laughs> That being a thing. And apparently now Goosebumps is set to be brought through Disney Plus as well, uh, with them ordering a 10 series streaming, 10 episode streaming series. Uh, of course, this is on the back of R.L. Stein's Fear Street books, making a big splash on Netflix. And there was the R.L. Stein Just Beyond Graphic Novels adaptation earlier last October. Uh, but yeah, we're getting more Goosebumps, I assume, in more of an anthology format than a Here's Jack Black as R.L. Stein, and here's all these monsters coming out of books version. i got to be honest, if this is done right, it may be... Like, if I watch a trailer and it actually looks good, I will get super fucking pumped. I loved the Goosebumps books. Like, I was obsessed with the Goosebumps books when I was younger. I would read them all. I had, you know, books on tape that I'd just listen to over and over at nighttime when I went to bed and stuff. I loved those stories. And I'm actually, like, the fact that no one's done those stories justice and proper like in in more than a b-grade sort of fashion is always been super disappointing to me because i know a lot of those the stories are you know like kids level horror stuff whatever but yeah i guess if fear street's the proving point of hey you can take his stuff and you know you can amp it up a little bit for the kids like me who were reading that when i was younger and make it for me now you know what i mean like age it up a little bit so Mm. um there's a lot of fucked up stories in Ghost <laughs> Goosebumps, so yeah, um, I, I would be super keen. Yeah, I'd actually be keen as well. I remember watching the TV series. I think it was like on Channel Seven, like Saturday so night, six thirty. It, it's not good, but you know, at the time, I mean, it 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 was it was primetime television. <laughs> surprisingly, um, my favorite Goosebumps story. I'll tell you that. I'll put it out there now. The one I want to see adapted the most. I can't remember the name of it because it's been a while. But it's about this kid who like discovers this house and he's like really into comic books and um, more or less his comic books start coming to life. And there's I remember like there's a part in it where he like goes to cut he like cuts his arm or something and he starts bleeding ink instead of blood. And I remember like reading it and being like, oh, that's like horrifying. Like I had nightmares about it for some reason. So uh, yeah, that's one <laughs> that would wow. be my go-to. Please adapt that story, whatever it's called. Imagine that with. Marvel money behind it. Yeah, let's go. Potential's endless. So, yeah, that's coming. Uh, I think they said they're filming sometime this year. Otherwise, yeah. Probably 2023 we'll see Goosebumps on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Dylan, in un- maybe surprising news, maybe not surprising news. Scream 6 is a go. According to Hollywood Reporter, Scream 6 has been officially given the go-ahead with the core creative team being returning. This includes directors Matt Bettini Olfen and Tyler Gilbert, as well as screenwriters James Van- Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. What's more, the studio is wasting no time at all as production is expected to begin this summer. Uh, Paramount and Spy Guys have the following statement. We are tremendously grateful to the fans around the world who enthusiastically received our film. We can't wait for the audiences to see what Radio Silence, writers Jamie and Guy and Project X have in store for our Woodsboro family. Uh, of course, Scream, currently the highest grossing movie released this year uh, at time of recording, according to Box Office Mojo, $112 million made worldwide. Um, 
Dylan, are you excited about uh, Scream 6? Yes, very excited. <laughs> I, I don't really have, like, I feel like any maybe any other franchise I'd be a bit more trepidatious as like, oh, that seems rushed, like, I don't know, whatever mm. else. But I almost feel like the six, like, I I do not feel like the money is solely like Greenlight. I feel like it's a combination of studios got the numbers to say that fans like it, plus uh, often the, the two it's have gone... Like, no, no, I feel like the picture oh, yeah, has to be pitch, good. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the green light's there for the money, but then they've gone, hey, like, here's our idea. And it's been like, yes, that sounds fucking amazing. Like, let's not even spend a couple months working on, like, like hearing the working this out. It's just like, that's really great. Fans love it. Let's fucking go. I feel like you don't green light and go into production that fast unless... And I feel like that means they obviously had a lot of ideas when they were making this movie and probably yep. thought of stories and stuff like that and directions they could take it. I personally feel like there's definitely room um, and for maybe one last story that would make a lot of sense um, and direction to go. So Everybody um, dies. Maybe. I mean, I, I, f- like, I don't feel like there's a bad screen movie. The third one's my least favorite, but I don't feel like there's a bad screen movie. So it's a franchise that has so far proven that it's always never repeated itself you know like it is a horror movie so obviously people die and you know there's always someone getting chased by a ghost face at some point in the in the <laughs> movie but it's a franchise that constantly reinvents itself and constantly feels fresh and whatever else always has great characters um great scares and stuff so uh yeah i'm super excited coming off how great five was um five's fantastic so I'm super keen. I can't wait. Plus, if you go, if 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 you for some reason watched Scream Five and you haven't gone and watched Ready or Not yet, please do yourself a favor and go watch Ready or Not. Because then between that and Ready or Not, you'll be like, yeah, fuck yeah, these directors behind the Scream movie, I will trust them with my life for the sixth installment. Uh, Dylan Sundance just wrapped up. Big film festival. Uh, lots of films shown. Uh, we can't go through all of them. So what I thought is, you know, you can play one of our favorite games uh, with ten of the biggest films of the year. Uh, would you want to invest? Uh, or would I buy it? Or <laughs> yeah, would I you? Mean, buy they're it? already made, right? <laughs> I mean, they're already made. So yes, yeah, it's like literally investing in <laughs> in these films. Uh, yeah. So I'll be, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the premise because some of these movies' names might have already come up. So, and then you tell me if you would want to invest. I should be all right, because although I've seen some tweets about really big ones people love, I don't remember the names of them, and I haven't actually read much about stuff, so. All right. Uh, First up, Nanny. Yeah, I'll just say the names then. (laughs) Uh, Nanny. Aisha, an undocumented Senegalese immigrant, lands a job as a nanny of a wealthy Manhattan couple. While she easily wins the affections of their young daughter, Rose, she becomes a pawn in the couple's facade of a marriage. The mother is as controlling as the dad is disillusioned and woke. Haunted by the absence of the young son she'd left behind in Senegal, Aisha hopes her new job will afford her the chance to bring him to the US and a share in the life she is piecing together. But as his arrival approaches, a supernatural presence begins to invade both her dreams and her reality. Uh, Invest. Okay. Is that a good This choice? one's... I think so. It's it, <laughs> it won the US Grand Jury Prize for dramatic film, so that's that's a good sign. Uh, I don't know if it's... A, 
don't know if it's actually been purchased yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, too bad. From, I just did. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, starring Anna Diop, Michelle Monaghan, and Sinako Walls. So yeah, that's that. Uh, next up, Navalny. Uh, in August 2020, a plane traveling with, from Siberia to Moscow made an emergency landing. One of its passengers, Russian opposition leader Alexei Valenin, Naval, Navalny, was deathly ill. Taken to a local Siberian hospital and eventually evacuated to Berlin, doctors confirmed that he had been poisoned with Nichokik, N- Novichok, <laughs> a nerve agent implicated in attacks on other opponents of the Russian government. President Vladimir Putin immediately cast out on the findings and denied any involvement. While recovering, Navalny, Navalny and his team, already with a large social media following in tow, partnered with the data investigative journalism outlet Bellingcat as well as other international news organizations to investigate his attempted assassination and to find proof of the Kremlin's involvement. Uh, invest, for sure. Yes, so this was also an award winner. It got Festival Favorite Award and Audience Award for US Documentary. So yeah, that sounds quite interesting. Uh, look forward to that one later this year. Uh, next up, we've got The Exiles. Brash and opinionated Christine Choi is a documentarian, cinematographer, professor, and quintessential New Yorker whose films and teachings have influenced a generation of artists. In 1989, she and Re- Renee... Tajima Penina started to film the leaders of the Tiananmen Square pro-democracy protests who escaped to political exile following the June 4th massacre. Though they never finished the project, Choi now travels with the old footage to Taiwan, Maryland, and Paris in order to share it with the dissidents who have never been able to return home. Given Sundance, am I actually not going to invest in something? Because invest. Are they just all yep. good? So is that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, invest. Just because something's good doesn't mean it's going to do. <laughs> it's going to be well, just because the people of Sundance liked it doesn't mean it will be well received. Well, I'm investing. Next up, Cha Cha Real Smooth, fresh out of college, but now what? Higher education failed to provide 22 year old Andrew with a clear life path going forward, so he's stuck back at home with his family in New Jersey. But if college did teach him one thing, it's drinking and partying. Skills to make him the perfect candidate for a job party starting at the bar and bat mitzvahs of his younger brother's classmates. With Andrew, when Andrew befriends a local mum, Domino, and her daughter Lola, he finally discovers the future he wants, even it might be his, even if it might not be his own. Uh, not invest. Interesting. Sounds this is the, this is the, uh, won the audience award for your dramatic. Uh, it's already been bought by Apple. <laughs> Uh, directed by Cooper Rafe, who you probably know from, he directed uh, Freshman Year, or Shithouse. Um, oh. He also uh. stars in it, starring Takata Johnson and Leslie Mann. Uh, yeah, this one is one of the, this was uh, the critic consensus best film of Sundance. So, I'll invest. I'll no, invest. too late. <laughs> we don't give second chances here. I'll invest or not invest based on the synopsis and then see if the uh, the information following the actor, director, <laughs> and all that makes me want to change my mind. <laughs> uh, next up, Emily, saddled with student debt and locked out of the job market due to a minor criminal record. Desperate for income, she takes a shady gig as dummy shopper, buying goods with stolen credit cards supplied by a middleman named Yusuf. 
Faced with a series of dead-end job interviews, Emily soon finds herself seduced not only by the quick cash and illicit thrills of black market capitalism, but also by her ardent mental Yusuf. Mm, not invest. Okay. Uh, this one was reasonably well-received, starring Aubrey Plaza, directed by John Patton Ford. But yeah. I, I haven't heard much about this other than people seem to like it, so... Next up, we've got Fresh, frustrated by scrolling dating apes. Frustrated by scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> They're just apes sitting in the zoo, just fucking scrolling Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> These fucking that, frustrated that's scrolling what those, apes. That's what those bored yacht apes are doing. Uh, frustrated by scrolling dating apps, only to end up on a lame, tedious dates. Noah takes a chance by giving her number to the awkwardly charming Steve after a produce section meet-cute at the grocery store. During a subsequent date at a local bar, sussy banter gives way to a chemistry-laden hookup, and the spit Noah dares to hope that she might have actually found a real connection with the dashing cosmetics surgeon. She accepts Steve's invitation to an impromptu weekend getaway, only to find that her new paramour has been hiding some unusual appetites. Uh, invest. Sounds like she's into fucking eating skin or something fucked up. I don't know, but invest. <laughs> uh, uh, Fresh is an intoxicating ride nesting a penetrating thriller about the perils of women face on the modern dating scene with a ferocious allegory for the commodification of their bodies. Uh, directed by Mimi Cave, starring Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan. So I this love one Daisy also- Edgar-Jones. Doesn't sound like yeah. her type of movie, though. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one has also been quite well received, so. Next up, Fire of Love. Katia and Maurice Kraft love two things, each other and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French vo- vo- volcanoologist couple have, were seduced by the thrills and dangers of this elemental love triangle. They roam the planet chasing eruptions and their aftermath, documenting their discoveries in stunning photos and breathtaking film shared with an increasingly curious public in media appearances and lecture tours. Ultimately, Katia and Morris would lose their lives during a 1991 volcanic explosion on Japan's Mount Uzunin, but they would leave a legacy that would forever enrich our knowledge of the natural world. Uh, none of this. Sounds not very interesting to me. It's a documentary, so... Uh, Directed by Sarah Sosa and narrated by Miranda Julie. Oh, Miranda July. Uh, yeah. Interest. It sounds interesting, but yeah, I'd be interested. Don't know how we're going to be, if we'll be talking about it this time next year. Mm. Next up. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. Uh, Nancy Stokes doesn't know good sex. Wow. Whatever it may be, Nancy, a retired school teacher, is pretty sure she's never had it, but she's determined to finally do something about it. She even has a plan. Involves an anonymous hotel room, a young sex worker who calls himself Leo Grand. Uh, Leo is confident, dapper, and takes pride in being good at his job. He also appears to be intrigued by Nancy, one of many things to surprise her during this time together. Who's the lead in this? You don't get to ask the question. <laughs> uh, no, no, best. I'm not investing. Uh, so it stars Emma Thompson and Darren McCormick. I invest! Directed by Sophie Hyde, uh, whose previous films include 52 Tuesdays and Animals. So. I feel like Appar- the, ca- again, the, cast, the, the lead was going to make or break that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, living a veteran civil servant and bureaucratic cog in the rebuilding of Britain post World War Two, Williams expertly pushes paperwork around a government office only to reckon with his existence when he is diagnosed with a fatal illness. A widower, he conceals a condition from his grown son, spends an evening of debauchery with a bohemian writer in Brighton, and uncharacteristically avoids his office. But after a vivacious former co-worker, Margaret, inspires him to find meaning in his remaining days, Williams attempts to salvage a modest building project from bureaucratic purgatory. Nah, none of this. Yeah, so this is directed by Olivia Humanis, who previously did Beauty, starring Bill Nighy, uh, Amy Lou Wood, Alex Sharp, and Tom Burke. So, oh, Amy Lou Wood. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, okay, last one. One day in 1942, Bunning stars meet for the first time in the RKO Pictures Commissary, unaware that together they would change the face of pop culture after surviving a tumultuous upbringing a teenage Lucille Ball left her family for New York City, where she found success as a model before moving to Hollywood to begin making, to begin working in movies. Hailing from Santiago, Santiago to Cuba, Desi Arnaz was a paid musician by 16 and quickly broke out as a multi-talented entertainer. The two would go on to consistently challenge the status quo in entertainment, both in front of and behind the camera. Invest. Yep, so this is Lucy and Desi. Uh, directed by Amy Poehler, and of course, follow the, this documentary about the life of <laughs> Lucy Ball, Lucille Ball, and Desi Arnaz. Interesting timing for this to come out, obviously with the uh, all the buzz around being the Ricardos at the moment. So yeah, mm. interesting crop of films. Uh, be interested to see how they all fare in like twelve months' time. How many Man. will we actually get to see? I was going to say, some of these, a uh, couple we may see hit Australia this year, majority of which uh, will actually end up releasing. I'm confident at least one. Next year. Which one? <laughs> Real oh, the smooth. Apple one? Chart, chart. The Apple one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's rest? confirmed it's coming Apple TV soon. Much in the way Coda was Coda? last year. So. Yeah. Yeah. So if he gets a Coda dream, I mean, that's. Coda done well. Pretty good. All right. That's all the news for this week. Let's move into some thumbs for trailers. So, of course, each episode we go. And watch a bunch of trailers, give you some thumb ratings, either two thumbs up for really good, one up, one down for mediocre, and two thumbs down for not good. Uh, and of course, you can find all the trailers that we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, let's kick things off with Joe vs. Carol, created by Ethan Frankel, starring John Cameron Mitchell, Kate McKinnon, Kyle McLaughlin, Dean Winters, Brian Van Holt, William Fitchner, Nat Wolf, Sam Keeley, Lex Mason, uh, Joel Marsh. Garland, Joel Marsh Garland, Marlo Kelly, and Alejandra Calabrese. Based on the second season of Wondery's Over My Dead Body podcast, Carol Baskin, a big cat rescuer, rescues Mansers, a res- crusade to NGW Zoo owner, Joe Exotics animal shows, and cub breeding business. When Joe's livelihood is threatened, he retaliates, exciting a 10 year feud between the two big cat lovers that finds them becoming sworn enemies. With the past informing the present, Carol and Joe's fight is messy, vicious, and outrageous. Ultimately ending in an attempted murder. Uh, Dylan, you've been fo- closely following the Tiger King <laughs> narrative. Uh, what did you think of this trailer? Uh, double thumbs down. I thought it looked horrible. 
so this takes like everything I sort of hate about the Tiger King sort of phenomenon and just turns it into a TV show. I'm sure I'll watch this, to be honest. I'll say that. Like, it looks terrible, but I'm sure I'll end up watching it anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's just like the sensation. It pops up one stage. It's like the sensational story or some shit. I'm like, it's not a sensational story. It's a fucking horrible story. Like, I, I just can't. <laughs> like, if you've watched the first season and like people fucking killing themselves and uh, all this plot for murder and drugs and fucking uh, whatever kidnapping. Like, it's just, it's not a night. It's not a fun story. Like, I just, like the elements of it that I understand are just larger than life that people grab onto. But ultimately, I just don't feel like it's as, like, we're playing it off very fun. And this trailer highlights more of the wild antic antics and not actually a lot more of the serious nature of the story. And I just don't, like, that's what p- the direction people have taken it anyway. So I understand that's why the TV show is the way it is, because it's all fucking memes and shit. But, um, yeah, double thumbs down. I don't think the trailer was good. And I doubt the series will be good anyway. But look forward to me watching it and complaining about it later, I'm sure. <laughs> uh I'll, I'll go one up, one down. I think it looks okay. No, nothing special at all. It's like it's bordering on two thumbs down. Carol um, Baskin, like it's just parody. <laughs> um, yeah, it is definitely a high parody. But I feel like on the Carol Baskin side, it feels like more serious elements. It doesn't seem as extreme as the Joe Exotic side. I think Kate McKinnon's is doing a normal impression, <laughs> not an over and top impression. Uh, and I'm mean, just Kyle McLaughlin seems like he's a normal dude. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, it, it it's definitely it definitely feels like we're getting to the point of diminishing returns on this story. Mm. Um, I think there was even meant to be another TV series currently being made or around the same sort of thing or something. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, hopefully this is the. I'm hoping at the very least this is the end of the story, and this is the last time we see this. You know, there'll be um, another season of them documentary and whatever else anyway. i mean i don't know i don't know honestly no, uh, but yeah joe exotic dies in prison or he gets out or whatever i mean he just got his i think most recently he got it denied or whatever but i mean they'll do another season they'll do something uh yeah so yeah joe versus carl is coming to stan here in australia mark fourth next up we've got genius or gene yuz a kanye trilogy <laughs> Directed by Cootie and Chike. Cootie and Chike? Got him. Starring Kanye West, an intimate, an intimate portrait of rapper Kanye West charting his life and career, filmed over two decades. It showcases both his formative days trying to break through and his life today as a global brand and artist. Dylan, you're a former big Kanye West fan. What do you think of this trailer? Um, double thumbs up. I think this looks really interesting. I think, yeah, as a former Kanye west fan this is covering this the the era primary well primarily i guess this will be covering the like his great beginnings and then i sort of seems like it'll touch on like how does he end up where he is now which is mm. uh, just crazy but yeah as someone who owned all those the, like sort of original trilogy quadrilogy whatever of those fantastic albums and you know had all these live dvs and like fucking i'd like college dropout pictures like on some of my school books and stuff like this. Like, yes, I'm very keen to watch this as a former Kanye fan, but I also ho- hope that when it does get to current day Kanye, I I hope it's like a bit more critical than the trailer makes it seem. Um, not just like, Oh, like, yeah, it's just a bit of a different person. Like, 
no, like he's said some fucked up shit. So like, let's not pretend like he hasn't. So, um, yeah, I think as a trailer and everything, double thumbs up. I think it looks really interesting. Definitely keen to watch it. Uh, yeah, two thumbs up for me as well. I think it does look interesting. Someone who's not as invested in Kanye West. Um, it looks like it's going to be an interesting story and an interesting rise at the very least. And I feel like the, the even the directors or one of the directors says like they were very close and it was there all the time towards the beginning and then they sort of drifted apart, which seems like a lot of the original fans kind of went the same way. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it looks like they're definitely going to be going over a lot of material. And I think it's also very interesting that Netflix is going with a different release strategy with this where they're releasing the, the, they're the doing the Beatles is, treatment. They're doing the Beatles treatment and doing the Fear Street treatment. Yeah. That's <laughs> the episode treatment. a week. Yeah. So, and I think what it's coming out. Uh, February Valentine's Day or some weird shit, probably. I think it was. Yeah. February 16th. Oh, there you go. Close enough. So <laughs> I would assume that's, you know, Wednesday. Mm. You know, going head to head with Disney. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. this it, It's going to be. An interesting ride. So yeah, this is coming to Netflix February sixteenth, releasing one episode a week for three weeks. Next up, we've got After Gang. So this was another big film from Sundance, directed by Koganaga, Koganada, Koganada, uh, starring Colin Farrell, Jodie Turner Smith, Justin Hachman, Malia Emma, Jantra Widjaja, and Haley Lou Richardson. When this young daughter's beloved companion, an android named Gang, malfunctions, Jake searches for a way to repair him. In the process, Jake discovers the life that has been passing in front of him, reconnecting with his wife and daughter across a distance he didn't know was there. Uh, I think this looks really fantastic. Um, His previous film, Columbus, is one that I've been trying to find somewhere in Australia, but it's (laughs) not on any streaming services. And it's not anywhere available to rent in Australia. Oh, it's, it's your bullshit. dead pigs. <laughs> yeah, it's my dead pig. Uh, yeah, I mean, this looks really cool. Like a really interesting, like, uh, sci-fi sort of exploration piece while also, like, kind of being about a family. And um, I think it looks looks very pretty. Uh, and, yeah, apparently, the acc- obviously, it's a little bit heavy on accolades, but, you know... Um, potentially the best thing Colin Farrell's done in a while. So yeah, definitely keen uh, to check this one out later this year. Tom, what do you think? Uh, one up down. Oh, two thumbs one, up. One up, one down. I thought yeah. I'm really keen for it. I just think the trailer was like a bit weirdly edited at times and um, I don't know, the pacing or something about the trailer just seemed off me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a bit too long or, or something, but yeah, one up, one down. I'm very keen to watch. I, I like the premise and all in all from everyone saying it's like sort of touching on themes and stuff that I find really interesting. Um, you're long about Colin, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell's fantastic and he does great movies. All That's what time. it says in the trailer. It's his best performance in years. Well, that's fighting words, I reckon, because he's in good shit all the time. <laughs> have you watched The Gentleman? No, I have not. It's fucking great. Have you watched uh, <laughs> The Lobster? Um, but no, one up, one down. Looks great. I just <laughs> thought the trailer was a little bit off. Okay. All right, that's, uh, so that's releasing the US on March 4th on Showtime and in theaters and currently no release date here in Australia. It's an A24 film, so 
Well, who we knows who it's coming it from? Twenty twenty three. Yeah, who knows where or when it will come? Come on, Neon. Mm-hmm. Neon is like a competitor. It's like come yeah, on, yeah, no, just Mad pick Man. it up, <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah, Man Man probably actually. Yeah. Uh, next up, asking for it, directed by Eamon O'Rourke, starring Kirsty Clemens, Vanessa Hudgens, Alexandra Ship, Ezra Miller, Rada Mitchell, uh, Gabrielle Sidibe. And Luke Hemsworth, after a small-town waitress is sexually assaulted on a date, she meets Regina and Beatrice and is recruited into a vigilante group of badass women. Together, they strike to take down a society overpowered by corrupt men and seek the ultimate revenge while getting their own version of justice. Uh, I'm going to go two thumbs down for this one. I <laughs> I only included it because it is a fun, a very funny juxtaposition to... Uh, promising young woman, which I think um, kind of tackles this uh, scenario in kind of more of a subtle and like less over the top way. And this feels like uh, what, unsurprisingly, a man would write to uh, as the way to deal with uh, being raped. So yeah, this I love the I really like the cast involved, but yeah, it, and it seems like they're gonna murder some over the top. Uh, proud boy figure in Ezra Miller, but other than that, it's not for me. Um, I'm going two thumbs down, but in saying that, I'm going to say I want to watch it. <laughs> so I, I thought the trailer was bad, but I'm also like, I like this cast, and it just seems so mm. silly. And in elements, it reminds me of how silly Assassination Nation was, but I really enjoyed that. Um, mm. but maybe that's like writing a very thin line and. Um, like that movie somehow made that concept and everything ridiculousness of of it work, but um, yeah, I kind of want to watch it, but it was a bad trailer, so two thumbs down. Uh, yeah, so this is coming into theaters March fourth in US, no release date in Australia. Uh, it is a Paramount film, so it may be coming to Paramount Plus any day now for all I know. Next one, Super Pumps: The Battle for Uber, created by Brian Koppelman and David Livian. Uh, starring Jason Gordon-Lovett, Uma Thurman, Kyle Chandler, Elizabeth Shue, Kerry Bish, John Bass, Bridget Gow-Hollett, and Babka Taft. The true story behind the meteoric rise of Uber founder Travis Kalanick, with the help of venture capitalist Bill Gurley and the board member Ariana Huffington, Kalanick forges a fledging startup into a multi-billion dollar colossus, but everyday surges come with a price. Dylan, what do you think of this? Uh, this is a two thumbs down. I think it looks bad. I think it looks so hard like it's trying to be the social network that it's it's cringy and the performances and everything just looks so... It's like it's a cross between trying to be the social network and like Wolf of Wall Street or something, but I, I don't know. It, I thought it was bad and I thought Charlie was bad and two thumbs down. No thanks. Uh, I'm going to go one up, one down purely because I like the cast. I don't think it looks as bad as you think. Um, I think the premise is interesting. Uh, apparently, this is a, they want this to be an anthology series where each season they tackle a different business story. Um, but yeah, uh, Joseph Gordon-Lovett seems like he's going a little bit over the top, especially towards the ends, um, which is it definitely getting the social network kind of vibes. Um, and Kyle Chandler looks like he's giving the same expression every single shot this trailer. Uh, which is not not what you want, I don't think. Um, 
but yeah, I'm interested to check it out. Apparently, this is coming to Paramount Plus in the US, so you have to assume it's coming to Paramount Plus sometime this year. So another reason to get Paramount Plus, potentially. Come on, those email addresses. Let's round out this show with this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. And I thought, you know, talked about the after party, talked about, you know, we've got Death and Nile about to come out. Uh, you know, we talked about murders before in the episode. Uh, this week I figured, why not? Top three detectives in media. So, you know, fun category. We've obviously got a bunch of different detective figures. Uh, I don't, didn't necessarily want to specify that it had to be a detective, like as an actual police officer, but, uh, yeah. Dylan, what is your number three? Number three, Sherlock Holmes. I feel like that's, uh, sort of, you know, the most famous detective, Conan O'Doyle's, of course, mm. creation. Um, I'm a big fan of the BBC Sherlock series, even though everyone just sort of makes fun of it on Twitter now, and I go, whatever, I don't care. Um, <laughs> and I've read several of the original books and some of the older films. I don't really like the Robert Downey Jr. stuff because it's more an action film than a detective, and that's not really what I want out of Sherlock personally, but more power to you, I guess. Um, yeah, Sherlock Holmes, obviously he's just, you know, he's the world's greatest detective. It's all about actually looking for clues and solving things and through and through detective stuff. and. Um, my other two are less of that, so <laughs> I was get on the board <laughs> with probably the most proper detective answer I can give. But yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Okay, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum. My number three, Sean Spencer from Psych, <laughs> the TV series. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Psych fan. It's like it's a lot of fun. Obviously, this is a character who pretends he's a psychic, uh, but is using his powers of deduction to figure out these cases behind the scenes. Uh, Really fun. And, like, obviously, he's got this fun banter with Gus, and, you know, it's a good time. And it's, they've somehow found a way to keep going, even though the series ended, like, four or five years ago. Pop up every couple of years with a different special. Uh, keeping the stories alive. Giving new mysteries and dumb you know, jokes and <laughs> fun names for each other. So, yeah. Sean Spencer. Dylan, what is your number two? My number two is... L from Death Note. Um, the anime series, of course, one and done um, based on the manga, but um, L is... I, I always used to tell people, like, if you don't like anime, that's fine. I feel like Death Note is so good that even if you don't like anime, you'd be able to wa uh, watch it. And I still think that the story in Death Note, uh, even though it's got supernatural elements, is one of the best detective sort of cat and mouse stories in movie or television. And I would stand by that. I, I, I think it's just, as far as like cat and mouse sort of people playing off one another and all that sort of stuff without spoiling it because I don't want to spoil all of Death Note. I know it's old, but, um, but yeah, L is just such an iconic character in any medium to me. Like I could, you know, I'd, like it's just one of the best sort of detective creations and so unique. Um, so yeah, that's my number two. Uh, my number two, also another, you know, one that would probably be unsurprising to anybody who knows me, uh, Detective Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, what a great character. 
And he solves crazy mysteries. Like, does he solve way. anything? <laughs> he solves crimes all the time. He never fails at solving different crimes. Uh, I was just like, even just today, I saw a clip of, uh, I think it's The Room. Uh, like the movie The Room? No, no. Um, <laughs> no, I thought the episode was called The Room, but it just looked like it. Uh, where he just he's interrogating a co- person. He's like, uh, gets them to divulge how they perform the murder by outthinking him and that kind of stuff. So, as sure, he's got the dumb boyish idiot element to him, but he's also a very good detective. And, you know, every time he f- gets, like, super involved in getting his suspects to sing Backstreet Boys, you know, he does figure out which one of them's the killer. So, yeah. Uh, did, yeah. Number two on my list. Dylan, what is your number one detective? What do you think my media? number one detective is? Batman. Incorrect. <laughs> Damn. My number one is Veronica Mars. Ah, uh, that was <laughs> right there. So stupid. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest TV shows of all time and one of the greatest TV detectives or any detective, if you will, of all time. Of course, Veronica Mars isn't actually a detective, but as you said, that's fine. Um, that's fine. She does detect, she does detect things. She detects though. things. She's- <laughs> She solves Detective sounds better than crime solver. <laughs> yeah. She is uh, technically a PI, I guess. That's what she is in the show. Or works. Her dad's a PI and whatever else. But mm. then she eventually becomes her own PI. Um, but yeah, she solves lots of cases. The show does the f- show does a really good job of showing how she solves lots of different cases by interviewing people, talking to people, finding evidence, all this sort of stuff, you know, hacking into stuff and getting help from other people and whatever else. But yeah, Veronica Mars being not only one of my top sort of shows of all time um also one of my favorite characters created for tv um i would say as well so yeah definitely my pick for best my favorite detective all right my pick for favorite detective is sherlock from sherlock i think it's a great show apparently Cumberbatch plays a great version of that character uh the definitive version of the character in my opinion uh and yeah like a lot of the mysteries are really interesting in the way he solves them and figures them out is really good and his ongoing thing with Moriarty uh is great. His mind palace elements and trying to figure out uh the mysteries inside of his head. It's all fun. You know? I think obviously I think it peaked probably season three, like after he came back for his death maybe. Uh season the final season is not Fantastic. I was say it peaked at his death, maybe. Season two He's, was the highlight, yeah, that's maybe. True. But like, not. I love the wedding bad, episode, though. That's one of my favorite. It is really good, but I would say, like, quality for episode for episode. The first two seasons are like mint, and then it's sort of like a little bit wavers from there on. Yeah, but yeah, Sherlock. It's a fantastic TV show. If I watched it, you should go watch it. Might even go rewatch an episode after this. All right, let us know what your favorite. TV detective, TV or movie detectives are by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump into our Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. Uh, if you want to help us out here at What Do You Want to Watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser or tell people about the show or leave us five stars on any service that lets you leave five stars. And if you like this episode, follow us with it all, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.